So welcome to this new series. The simple idea or what we recognize is that this is a natural time of year for people to think about things new. Some of you make, made New Year's resolutions this year. Um, anyone brave enough to raise your hand and say that you actually made a New Year's resolution? Um, some of you did. You're kind of like, eh, I did. I, I don't. Like, I, I remember it was about nine years ago. I was sitting at a meeting table waiting for a meeting to begin, and someone turned to me. It was January. And they said, so Matt, what, what's a New Year's resolution that you made this year? And I was like, I don't make them. And it was the first time I'd honestly thought about it. I'm like, I don't really make New Year's resolutions because they don't, number one, they don't work. We, we all know that. Like 93% chance it's not going to stick. And also, you know, I'm just a bit of a rebel and what everyone else does, I don't do. So I'm, I'm just wired a little bit differently. But this is a natural time of year to think about things new, a, a new habit or changing an old habit. And for whatever reason, when the calendar flips to January 1st, it's like a new beginning, a new you. This is a natural time for us to think about habits, but what I want to acknowledge here is that most of the time we think about habits and change, a lot of the things we think about are external. We don't just say, I want to get healthy this year, but you put a number on it, right? I want to weigh this amount. I want to run this distance. We have these external goals that we think about. You don't just say, I want to get smarter. You say, I want to read these five books. And, and you set these external goals that are measurable because, as many of you know, the best goals are the measurable ones. Many of the habits we form are external. But we're not going to talk about habits this year. Here's something to think about. When you think about the, the most disciplined people that you know, you probably admire them to some degree. You admire the people who can consistently do things day after day after day. And maybe some of you are kind of wishing that you had more of that. Some of you are wishing you could have that external habit that someone else has. What we're going to look at in this series is that really the best way to start something new or to restart something new is not an external habit. Because here's what... I know. Here's kind of where we're going to go with this series. Behavior, external behavior, is a lagging indicator of how we're doing inside. Like you can have a bad day and kind of push your way through it and nobody will know, but you have three or four bad days, three or four bad weeks, three or four bad months, one or two bad years, and you can only fake it so long. You can only conform your behavior until you start to break down. And by the time someone notices, hey, what's wrong? I've noticed something isn't right. You're, you're like, oh yeah, three weeks ago, this happened. Or five days ago, this happened. Behavior is often a lagging indicator of how you're doing on the inside. So here's number one. You could be crushing it in so many different ways, but still crashing spiritually. You can be crushing it physically, going to the gym every day, but inside you're just crashing spiritually. You could be crushing it financially where you're, you're, you're making great progress, but inside, you're still crashing spiritually, crashing internally. And that's not what we want. That's not what God wants as we're going to see today. As a new calendar rolls around, he doesn't say, all right, I wanna see 10 new habits that help you be a better person. What Jesus actually points to today is the internal, the spiritual because when you develop who you are internally, it will have 
a bigger impact on the external things that you see in your life. So here's what I hope for you today. Today, we're starting a new series. We're looking at these hidden things in the heart, the internal development that God wants us to do. We're not gonna set a bunch of big you know, habits that you can measure. We're going to let God develop us from the inside. And here's my hope for you today, just to set a foundation for what we'll be talking about in the next four weeks. And here's where I hope that we end, where we're gonna talk about where to start if you want to start something new. And I wanna be careful how I balance this because habits are good. It's good to think about them and to be intentional about them. But you can't just focus on habits and not pay attention to what's inside. We're gonna see an account today from Matthew 15 where Jesus talked to some people who had excellent discipline habits. They were honored, revered among people as the most disciplined people in the world. But there was something inside that was making them crash. And Jesus was not impressed with their discipline. He was not impressed with their habits. He called them to make a big change. And it was something that struck Jesus' disciples in an unusual way. Because even while Jesus was blasting these well-disciplined people, his disciples were thinking, what does this mean for us? So maybe right now you're thinking about something new that you'd like to bring into your life. But before you start with the habit, let's see where Jesus points us to start. Inside, spiritually, in the heart. So in Matthew chapter 15, Jesus has had some busy times. He's up in Galilee. He just fed a bunch of people. He'd done a lot of miracles. He's crowds everywhere. And in Matthew chapter 15, we see someone going on a trip to come see Jesus. And I'm just going to let Matthew set it up, and then I'll add a couple details just to appreciate what's happening here. So Jesus is up in Galilee, and some Pharisees and teachers of the law came to Jesus from Jerusalem, which I did a little research. If Jesus is by the Lake of Galilee, this would be about 75 miles if you're a bird, Okay, so just think about 75 miles. They're sending this delegation to Jesus, and they ask him, why do your disciples break the tradition of the elders? And I assume there were other questions that they asked. It wasn't just this one thing, but I still have to just pause and think to myself, this must have been something really serious. To send people 75 miles, if they could get a Cessna, just fly straight there, 75 miles to come and ask Jesus, why are you breaking the tradition of the elders? It must have been something serious. Before we go on, though, just notice what they're hinting at. The elders were the old people in the community, the people who had taught the youngsters what to do and how to do it. It was the way of life for Jewish people that they would live by. And In case you don't know the context, the tradition of the elders was basically a collection of about 500 different little customs and traditions and things they would do as a reflection of God's commandments. The traditions were in place as a bumper or a buffer to prevent people from breaking the commandments. And it was just common Jewish understanding that you honor the elders, you you, you follow their traditions. And so they come up to Jesus and say, you are disrespecting the old people. And it's interesting how Jesus responds. 
He could have said, no, I'm not. And here's why. He could have gotten defensive, but instead he gets offensive. I love this. He turns to them and, oh, this is, first of all, this is what they were mad about. That your disciples don't wash their hands before they eat. <laughs> I'm sure Jesus was like, <clears throat> Andrew, did you not wash your hands? <laughs> you know, um, maybe parents, you've, you've done that. This is not about f- hygiene. Um, if, you're lo- if you're interested in more, I encourage you to open up to Mark chapter 7 sometime this week. Uh, Mark goes into greater detail about what these customs and traditions were. It was a symbolic or ceremonial washing of the hands. Um, some say that they would just plunge their arms into water. Others say it was more of a sprinkling thing. But they would also wash their eating utensils, their bowls, and their dining couches. So it was a pretty extensive thing where they would symbolically indicate that their hands were clean because you don't want to defile your food before you eat it. So the Pharisees, the teachers of the law, were so upset at this. Your disciples don't wash their hands. They're breaking the tradition of the elders. You're making the old people mad. So here's what Jesus replied. Why do you break the command of God for the sake of your tradition? You're accusing me of breaking the tradition, but you are breaking the actual command that God has declared. And he is about to lay into them in a way that they never saw coming. But before I get to that, I want to bring you into this story and show how this applies to you and to me. They were so ready to accuse Jesus of doing something wrong that they didn't even pause to look in the mirror to see what they were doing. They accused him of disrespecting the elderly, but as we're about to see, they were doing something much worse than just disrespect some traditions. Here's what I often see in me and in other people. It's that what you are guilty of, you often accuse others of. They were hiding something in their hearts. They had built up some defenses around it to the point where they couldn't even see their own fault as they accused others of perceived fault. They were more broken than they even knew. And this is such an easy section to say, oh man, those Pharisees were just horrible hypocrites. You know, It's easy to judge them, but that's not why this is recorded in scripture. The reason it's there is so that we can look in the mirror too. And we have to say, we are more broken than we even know. And maybe you've seen this, where the times you accuse people of doing something is often when you're guilty of the exact same thing. It's a defensive mechanism to point out their fault so that you can kind of hide yours. We are more broken than we know. And the longer you live with your insides not aligned right with your heart and your spirit not right, the longer you live that way, the more you fool yourself into thinking it's okay. You can handle whatever addiction it is. You can handle whatever you're struggling against. You'll do better. The longer you live in it, the more you don't realize how broken you are. And it's sections like this in Matthew 15 where God doesn't invite you to point the finger at others. He says, you're you're part of this story too. And I'm part of that story too. We, We are more broken than we know. And Jesus is going to help the Pharisees see just how broken they are. And this is an important thing that God does in the hearts of people, to help them see just how broken they are, not to push them to despair, 
but because when you see your brokenness, this is the first step towards hope. So Jesus replied to them, we're not the ones doing something wrong here. Why do you break the command of God for the sake of your tradition? And here's where it gets a little complicated, but at the same time, it's kind of simple. Jesus says, quoting Exodus, he said, God says this, honor your father and mother. One of the commandments that Moses gave. He also says, anyone who curses their father or mother is to be put to death. So this is not just one of these light commandments or suggestions that comes from heaven. This is a command that God is very serious about. Honor your father and mother. And part of honoring them is that even in old age, you help them and support them. Jesus says, that's a command of God, but here's what I see. But you say that if anyone declares... Here's the kind of complicated part. If anyone declares that what you might have used, what, what might have been used to help their father or mother is devoted to God, they are not to honor their father and mother with it. Thus you nullify the word of God for the sake of your tradition. The, the phrase devoted to God is actually one word in the Greek. It comes from an ancient Hebrew word. The word is Corbin. So if you know someone named Corbin, here's what their name means. Their name means devoted to God. Pretty cool name. My name is Matthew. I'm just a gift of God. But Corbin is devoted to God. The idea is this, that, you know, sometimes you kind of set apart something for God or for the temple or for the sacrifice. And this is kind of in the Old Testament system. There would be times where you have an animal that's going to be slaughtered, but you haven't brought it in yet. If someone were to come over and say, hey, I really need some meat. Could I have that animal? They would say, I'm sorry, this animal is Corbin. It's, de- it's devoted to God. I, I, I haven't given it yet. I haven't sacrificed it yet, but it is set aside as a gift to God that I will give in the future. And so this was part of their ceremony. There was part of their routine where certain things were Corbin. They were going to take it to the temple. They were going to give it to God. They just haven't had a chance to do it yet. And so the Pharisees, oh, they found the loophole. Mom, dad, and I, I know the... I know the rent is due for you guys, but I'm sorry. I, my money is Corbin. I know that you're hungry. I, I know that you need some help, but I'm sorry. Every, Corbin. And this was like the religious exemption of their day where if you didn't want to help someone, you could make a declaration. Sorry, it's, it's Corbin, which is great when your neighbor comes to you and asks for an egg and you've only got two left. Sorry, my eggs are Corbin. Can't, can't help. And when Jesus brings this up, it just sickens him to even have to explain to them how broken they are. You accuse me of breaking a tradition and dishonoring the elders when you are withholding from them their own welfare. So as Jesus says this, he's like, there's, there's only one less thing to say. Then I'm done. I'm done talking to you. He says, you, Isaiah was right. You hypocrites. You hypocrites. A hypocrite is someone who imposes a habit on someone else before they've addressed their very own heart. You hypocrites. Isaiah was right 700 years ago when he prophesied about you. These people, they honor me with their lips. They say all the right things. Their prayers are so impressive. And it's just amazing to listen to them. But I'm not impressed. Their hearts are far from me. They have the greatest habits in the world but their hearts are far from me. They worship me in vain. The the traditions that they follow are empty. 
meaningless. Their teachings are but merely human ideas, human rules. Isaiah was right, you hypocrites. A hypocrite is someone who imposes rules, imposes habits that contradict what's going on in their very own heart. A hypocrite is someone who judges someone else for what they themselves are guilty of. And we are all more broken than we know. So here's what Jesus taught people, and here's what we have to really focus on today. I know it's a new year, and we're so excited for new things and getting new things and doing new things, and maybe you're like me. You just go into, you know, just do it, do it, do it. But Jesus says, no, your behavior is a lagging indicator of how you're doing on the inside. So you must address the heart before you address the habit. You must address what's going on inside before you run out there to start doing a bunch of external things. And this is so hard for some of us, isn't it? I'm, I know I'm not wired this way. It's so hard just to sit down and think through what's really coming from the heart. But Jesus said this is more important than anything else. Reading 10 chapters of the Bible a day isn't impressive to God if your heart isn't in it. He would rather see you read 10 sentences and have it connect with your heart then see you just rush through 10 chapters and say that you finished it. God isn't impressed by the external measurements of our goals. He's most interested in what's happening on the inside. And like those Pharisees learned, we are all more broken than we know. So this was a teaching moment. Jesus had to set things straight. He was not the one who was dishonoring God through not washing his hands, but it was the Pharisees who were dishonoring the elderly by not honoring them, not, not obeying them as God had commanded. And so once he's done with them, Jesus calls the crowd together. He's like, I have no more words for the Pharisees. So he crawls, calls the crowd back toward him. And Matthew records what Jesus said. He called the crowd and he said, listen, understand, teaching moment. What just happened, I don't want you to miss it. What goes into someone's mouth does not defile them, but what comes out of their mouth, that is what defiles them. And that word defile isn't the word that we use too much, but defile means that God abhors it. That when God looks at it, it's disgusting, he can't stand it, and he has to punish it and be rid of it. Jesus is telling them, I know that we've got these Jewish laws and ceremonies about clean food and unclean food and all these things, your morality isn't changed by your diet. Unless you eat Taco Bell. That is the exception. That will ruin you from the inside. But Jesus had to set the record straight. The, the food, the ceremonies, they were never about making us morally better before God. The food, the, the clean, the unclean, all that stuff, it was simply to help us stay separate from the world around us, to remember who we were. It wasn't about being morally superior. But over time, the Pharisees had forgotten why they had these traditions, and they turned their habits into idols. So Jesus said, look, look what defiled people wasn't about what was in their stomachs. What defiled people was what came out. And so here's just one quick thing, and this isn't so applicable, but here was a turning point where Jesus' disciples began to see that the Old Testament ceremonies and foreshadowings were now being fulfilled. Jesus says, it doesn't matter what food you eat. That doesn't change how God views you 
what views you isn't what happens in your stomach, but what happens in your heart. So the disciples come back to him and they say, wait, what about this in your stomach stuff? And that doesn't defile you. Like, what do you mean by this? They were so confused. And so Jesus gathers them back, says, okay, okay, here's what I meant. And then Matthew goes this way in verse 17. Don't you see that whatever enters the mouth, biology 101, whatever enters the mouth goes into the stomach and then out of the body, enough said. But the things that come out of a person's mouth come from the heart. And that's what defiles them in God's sight. It's not what you eat that makes God say, oh, that's gross, I can't be around you. It's what comes out of your mouth, the words that come from your heart. And then Jesus expands it. It's not just words that come out of your mouth, but it's everything that comes out of your heart. He clarifies, verse 19, for out of the heart come evil thoughts. And then Matthew lists seven things where Mark actually lists 12 things. The point is Jesus is going down a list and the people listening are wondering, why are you bringing up all these awkward, horrible things? And Jesus is like, that's the point. This is what, defiles you before God. Not what you eat, but what comes out, the words, the behavior. Murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false testimony, slander. And he went on and on and on, making the point that failing to wash your hands before you eat doesn't defile you. It is the life you live It's what comes out of your heart. These are what defile a person. But eating with unwashed hands, that does not defile them. You need to start thinking differently, thinking bigger about what really God wants us to know. So here's, just to put it in my words, it's not about what what enters your stomach, it's what exits your heart. And this is ultimately what Jesus had to bring people to see. Not an external keeping of disciplines and habits, but what comes from a person's heart. And here's what I'll, again, I want to bring you back into this. I'll just ask you one, one question. It's a little bit harder to answer. What's been coming out of your heart the last year? The exciting thing about a new year is that we have the idea that, hey, we've got a blank slate, a fresh start, something new, just jump into it. But it, you also owe it to yourself to look at the last year and just recognize the things that came out. So what's been coming out of your heart this last year? Anger, impatience, desiring things that you just can't have, longing for things that God doesn't want you to long for. There are things that have come out verbally, things that you said that you can't take back. There are things that you've done physically that you wish you hadn't done. But even more than that, it's not just the things that come out of the heart that God sees, but God even sees what we bottle up. He sees what we put behind walls and what we try to defend by accusing others of what we ourselves are guilty of. He knows the brokenness. And here's what I normally do, and maybe you do too. When you start to think about all the things that come out of our hearts, the things that stay bottled up inside, it's really easy just to look at the world around us and say, well, of course I'm this way. Look at the way things are. Look at the circumstances that are around me. I mean, of course, who wouldn't be angry this last year? Just look at what's happening in our world, and we need to change things, and anger just brews over, and we say it's, it's excusable. But God says, you're defiled. You're defiled. 
we can easily look at the circumstances and try to say, well, it makes sense of what's coming out of our heart, but you know what you're really doing? When you blame the circumstances around you for what comes out of your heart, you're basically saying that God is to blame. It's because of what he's done. It's because of the circumstances he allowed that the anger came out, the hatred, the lust, the envy, whatever it is. I appreciate one of the pictures the Bible uses to describe the circumstances of life. It's used in the Psalms, and it's also a picture that Jesus used. It's the idea of the cup that's placed before you. So think about all the circumstances of your life, um, your relationships, your career, your school, whatever, wherever you're at, and you sum it all up, it's like, this is your life. It's a cup that's placed before you. And to some degree, you can change your cup. You can have habits and rituals and traditions that kind of, you know, focus your cup in certain ways. But for the most part, as we would say today, you can only play the hand that you're dealt. And sometimes you might look at your cup and it's bitter, it's empty. You say, of course I'm angry. And that's really where we have to be real. What comes out of our heart is not something that we can blame God for. Regardless of whether your cup is empty or overflowing, bitter or sweet, that does not change you. I'll put it this way. What goes into your cup does not change what comes out of your heart. No matter how much you try to blame it or explain it, away. And here's where Jesus left the entire crowd speechless. Defiled is the only word that should define us. But the reason Jesus can bring stuff like this up is because he recognized that what comes out of our heart is what went into his cup. You see this night before he died where he says, Father, the cup that's before me, is there, is there another cup? Can, can we change it? But I don't want to undo everything that we came to do. And ultimately, he said, no, this, this is the cup. And he drank it. Everything that comes out of your heart went into his cup. And when he died on the cross, it was as if he was defiled by his own father in heaven as if his own father looked at his son and said, I can't stand you. The sin of the world, the, the things that come out of people's hearts were all punished at that one time. So that leaves us no reason to bottle it up, no reason to point out the fault in others to try to cover up the blame in ourselves. I know it won't be easy. This year, the cup placed before you might be bitter, it might be sweet, it might be empty, it might be overflowing. I don't know what your cup has before you, but ultimately what goes into your cup doesn't change what comes out of your heart. But here's what God promises. He doesn't say that he'll manage your cup so that it's easy to, easy to handle, but here's what he does promise. That sinful heart, that, that sinfulness within you, he'll take it away. Number four, God promises a new heart, not necessarily a new cup. And the reason this is important is because when it comes to the sinful heart that we're born with, you can curb it for a while 
You can force it to do things it doesn't want to do. You can make it be selfless. You can make it be generous, but ultimately it will fight, fight, fight so that even the best habit you develop will fail. The goal for this new year, the the way to find something new that God wants to do in you is not to curb your sinful nature, your sinful heart into doing something new. It's to let God put that sinful heart in the tomb every day and let a new heart come to life. You have been given a new heart. Not because you asked for it, not because you requested it, but simply by hearing the good news of what Jesus did with what was in your heart, God has placed a new heart in you. An incredible heart where there is peace and joy regardless of whatever's in your cup. A new heart that has the power of Jesus' resurrection living in it. A new heart that the Spirit can grow new fruit out of. Fruit like peace and patience and gentleness and self-control. And did I say patience? There's this new heart that God has planted in you. And here's the thing. If you want to see something new, do not try to conform your sinful heart to do what it was not able to do. Instead, ask God to give you a new heart that is able to do something new. And I want to close with a prayer that God loves to hear, God loves to answer. And I know that because it's in the Bible, like it's recorded for us. If you have some time this week, and if you really want to do some work on your heart, I encourage you to work through Psalm 51, not as a to-do to just race through it and say that you did it, but to really just think through the words of this psalm because it acknowledges everything that we talked about today, the sinfulness that comes out, but also the grace of God that forgives. And here's one verse that makes a great prayer as we close today. It says, create in me, something, God, that was not in me when I was born. Create in me a pure heart, O God, and make new a steadfast spirit, one that isn't easily wavered by my sinful desires, but a new heart that is steadfast and strong. And this is where to start if you want to start something new. I hope you can come back for the next four weeks because we're gonna look at some specific things that the old heart, the dead heart, the sinful heart is gonna continue to reach for and grab and bring up. But we're gonna see each week how God addresses those issues of our old heart and continues to bring in something new. Let's pray. Dear Father in heaven, Thank you so much for tough messages like this that Jesus didn't just preach to Pharisees, but he preached to the Pharisee in each of us. So easy to go on the accusation, trying to defend the own brokenness that we have within ourselves. Thank you, Father, that Jesus didn't shy away from pointing out our brokenness, but instead he let us see how hopeless we are There is no hope for anything new to come from our sinful nature, but you did not leave us there. Everything, all the evil, all the horrible things that defile us before you, everything that came out of our heart went into Jesus' cup. He suffered, he died, he took it away, and he rose again to bring us something 
new. Now, this isn't easy, and this isn't going to be a fix. The, the things that are in our heart have been brewing for years and years and years, but I pray that this series is a good step for each and every one of us to learn what it means to let you begin something new for your honor and to love the people around us. So continue to bless us with your presence. I ask that in Jesus' name. Amen.